Ah, oh, Dan, how are you, man? Dude, so good to see you, man. What's happening? Great to see you. This is like, I feel like this is a long time coming that we, I want to know how you first found my podcast because you DM'd me saying that you, you'd been listening to a couple episodes and I was very flattered about this. I'm such a fan of your podcast, man. I listen to every single episode. You can like, you know, you do the subscribe thing and it notifies you every time a new episode of a podcast comes out. I just feel like I'm that guy who will listen to any music business podcast. I don't know. I'm just so enamored with it. Which I other ones? Have been. Which other ones do you like? Who do you think? Oh, do you like man. the Left Sets one? I love the Left Sets one. It's great. Uh, I read his letter, obviously. Um, in Nashville, I love Bobby's. The Bobby cast is great. He gets great guests. He does. He's so good, right? He's, he's so, so good, good, man. He's such a. He's a great guy. He's a great friend. But I mean, he's just got such a natural way of interviewing people. It's it's amazing, man. Super inspiring. One of my favorite music business ones is Zane Lowe. I don't know if you listen to his podcast. I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. he's, he's one of the best to ever do it. Just like something about that guy. He, you know, you could make the worst album of all time, and he's going to come on there and make you feel like, you know, so so warm and so welcome. And he's just such a good dude. He dives so deep on the music. I mean, we did when we put out our last album, we did like a, you know, countdown world premiere kind of thing with him right before the album came out. And he was diving in on details on the second verse of track nine on the album. I'm like, dude, I, I honestly don't even remember what we did on that. Let me go back and listen to it. You know it better than I do, but he's got like a, like a, almost like a puppy dog energy. Like he gets so excited, um, about music and he's always, he always knows what he's talking about, right? He, he, he does his research to listen to everything. A hundred percent. I mean, the last time we did an interview with him, we jumped on just a, a zoom like this and he had his guitar and he starts singing the song and playing it. I was like, dude, this guy, he knows what he's talking about. You know, he sometimes was, he picked up his guitar and was playing along. He picked up his guitar. He played it. Perfect. The chords are right. It was one, four, four over five back to the one. It was like, this guy knows his stuff, man. It's great. Do artists like that? Because I feel like it's sometimes uncomfortable to have a song like played back to you like that. I like it, man. I, I like when people care. I mean, I care to a fault about music, and we can get into that later, but I care to a fault. And to have somebody else, I know you care. That's why I like listening to your podcast, man. You dive deep uh, on the music, on people's you know backstory and everything else. That I remember that episode you did with Espo, John Esposito, the the president of our record label. That was That was so cool, man. And the kind words you said about... I should probably go to bed. That uh, you know, that song was, I guess, maybe a little bit polarizing. We pushed the envelope on it, but that was a really special moment for me because we were in the pandemic and there was no access to studios or musicians. It was we hadn't quite figured out the hey, can we record drums virtually? I'm gonna be on audio movers and and do this thing from a distance. And I was like, I, well, I guess I we, we we wrote this song just you know right over here on the piano in my house, and I got to figure out a way to record everything, and I did. And that was kind of a a proud moment to know that like. That was my touch on that. And for you to say those kind words and tell Espo that was, uh, I don't know, it was awesome. I think that's when I reached out to you. I love that. Here's what I want to ask you about that song, because I forget if Espo told me that in that podcast, or I forget when he told me this, but he said, if I'm not mistaken, that you invited him over to your house to listen to the song. It was yeah. that song? Uh, we we kind of broke the rules. It was during the pandemic. We hadn't seen anybody. We did the socially distanced thing. And same with our manager, Jason. I hadn't seen these guys in a long time. And I was like, you guys got it. Even if you stand in the back of the room, I promise I'll make the speakers loud enough so you can hear it or I'll run a headphone extender. I, I'm such an audio nerd, as you know. Uh, I make everybody listen on these Grado headphones. Is, um, because I feel like everybody hates listening to music in front of an artist who's playing them their music because you never know... You never know what to say 
And even if I love something, it's like, like what, like why is it because you want them to hear it on great headphones, but isn't that awkward to play them a song and then they feel like they have to say well, they love it? <laughs> the reason I needed them to hear this is because it wasn't quite done and I'm so precious. I'm probably like the least collaborative person when it comes to this, but I, I don't like sending unfinished. And I know a lot of other producers are like this. I don't like having to send something with disclaimers and say, trust me, like when we compress it, it's going to be louder and it's going to hit harder. Or trust me, like I'm going to add real strings instead of these fake program strings. I like to be able to just, if somebody gets the MP3, they can just listen to it without any kind of, you know, forward on it. Um, This one was like almost done. And I was like, I don't want to send it anywhere, but I need you guys to hear kind of where this is going. It was, it was pretty fully formed. It, and the differences that I'm talking about are so negligible. It's like, you know, EQing a little bit of a certain frequency out of a vocal that I think improves it by a million times where other people wouldn't dare care, you know, about that frequency cut or boost or whatever it may be. The the little nerdy stuff that I add, the uh, the finishing touches, it's, it's negligible. That stuff doesn't make or break whether a song's a hit or not or whether people connect with it. But for me, like my personal satisfaction in knowing something's done, those little details matter. And I, I do think... You know, throughout the course of your career, your body of work, I feel like fans and people in the industry, whether they know it or not, subconsciously can tell if an artist or a producer really cares. You know, I, whether they know, wow, man, this the panning of the hi hat was brilliant on this. It was thirty seven to the left instead of thirty four to the left. Whenever they feel that consistently, I feel like they know that an artist cares, and that's important to me, man. I, I just, you know, whether somebody likes a song or not, I want them to know, like, you know what, that guy cared. But what did they say in the room when you play them the song? Like, I mean, it's such a great song, but do you take what they say at face value? Like, like what were you trying to accomplish by playing them the song early? Were you trying to get their notes on it or just see if they thought maybe there was something here? Should I keep going with it? <laughs> yeah, for anybody who knows that song, that song's got a lot of shock value, I guess. Like, when that, yeah. you know, the big queen-sounding section at the end hits, like, it's kind of out of nowhere and the pizzicato strings come in in the bridge. And I, I just kind of wanted to see their face, you know, for the shock value of it, like, you know, taking it back in their chair. And uh, I almost had my wife film their reaction just to see whether they liked it or not. I was like, this is so extreme when the band comes in there. I was like, I got to gotta see what happens. And, uh, man, I, you know, thinking about that, just just talking out loud on this, I, I sometimes, when it comes to demos and picking songs, I don't love being in the room with an A&R or with somebody who's, you know, going through the songs. I would rather have their objective opinion. You know, whenever I, my friend Rohan, who I grew up with, he's our right. a at Warner, you know, he's the best. And I'd rather send him the songs to listen to in his own space. And, and cause I know he's thorough, you know, he's gonna, sometimes you'll send a song to somebody and they'll be like, I hate it. It's like, well, have you eaten recently? Are you hungry? Is that why you, you know, there, there are other reasons, other factors that may determine whether you're not, whether you're not, you like a song, but I know that, that Rose listening thoroughly and, uh, a lot of times enough to make a, you know, a qualified opinion on it. Same with Scott Hendricks. I know he likes listening to music out on the tractor when he's, you know, got a clear mind and I'd rather have that than influence somebody. I I want what's best, you know, for the band, for our fans, for everybody out there that we're releasing the music for. I don't want, I don't want somebody to say they love a song and they think it's great just because I was in there playing air drums to it. You know what I mean? So why was 10,000 hours different? Cause you invited everyone over to your house to hear the song and well, I, I should think, probably go to bed. I should probably go oh, to bed. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should probably go to bed. Right, right. That's, that's, that's what we're talking about. I feel like that one, especially, I would not want people in the room 
when I played it for them because it's so out there and unique in such a cool way. But why was that the one where you invite like the whole team over to the house to listen in person? I guess it was with them? it was a good excuse to see people because I hadn't seen anybody in like That's, a year, man. That, it was crazy. That, <laughs> but uh, no, I I just wasn't done with it, you know, and I wasn't ready to send it out. But I needed. You know, that was a time when it was like kind of taboo to release music or to go, you know, market something. And I just needed our team to know that like, hey, I'm I'm working, I'm cooking something up. I'm really, really proud of it. I need you to hear it. Even though it's not quite finished, it's going to be finished really soon. But it wasn't even mixed. It was just straight out of my Pro Tools session. And, you know, my Pro Tools sessions always sound like crap. That's I like collaborating with people who can make them sound better. I don't pride myself on being a mixer. But, you know, I, I like to think I can put the right parts and make the Raider in right arrangement um in a track and that's kind of what it was i just hit play and i, I don't stand in front of them to influence them is like uh i i have this little studio thing now outside of my house but i it was in just a guest bedroom we had just moved into this house and i stood in the back of the room so they couldn't see me but espo goes deep on music man he closes his eyes got a glass of wine he's doing it right he's doing it right and then and then what it, and what do they say afterwards? Does Espo go, Oh, you know, that's a single, that's a hit? Or like are they enthusiastic about it or do they kind of keep their cool with it? They were pretty floored by that one. I, I mean I obviously that song was like pushing the limits of country music, which kinda we've always done that. This one was like probably the most extreme case of that. It's just one of those things that happened organically and we were sitting at the piano, we sang it, Shay started taking off on the vocal and I was going to that flat seven, four, four minor thing. And I was like, yo, we got to record this right now. And we literally went upstairs. I played in a quick piano on MIDI and he just sang a vocal. And then I built the track around it. But we do have such a, an open relationship with our team. And people can say if they don't like something, I encourage that, man. If if somebody on our team feels a certain way about a song, I sometimes will pry. I'm like, this isn't very good, right? You know, just to see if they'll be like, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. But I, I, I like... I feel like that's, conversations like that. I feel like because, someone could could influence me though. If you came to me and you and you were playing me a song, and you were like, "This isn't very good." Even if I like the song, I think you could probably convince me to to agree with you to say, "Oh yeah, no, no this sucks." Oh, I like or the other like, way. I like people's beliefs having to be challenged. You know what I'm saying? If you love a song and somebody else doesn't, you're really going to have to fight for why you love that song, or really dig deep and say, "Do I actually like this song, or or do I not?" And I think that's a healthy, important piece of you know curating great music to be released do you did you ever replace the midi keyboard on i should probably go to bed or is that still the keyboard that's on the record that's still the keyboard that's on the record i built a pretty good piano sound i think it's uh the grandeur and contact was the piano i used i just kind of tweaked it and tweaked it you know opening the lid a little bit doing the thing there and i think i i printed it dry and then i you know printed my own reverb that i you know built on a, on a stereo aux um but yeah, that was I didn't redo that piano. We did do a version at Ocean Way that we played live, which was I think my favorite version of the song, where it was just the two of us in there with that C seven out on the floor and Shay and I were singing it. And uh man, that was that was a special one. That, I think that was also during COVID. That. It was like, All right, guys, you gotta get set and you can't move, and then everybody else is gonna load in video equipment because we can't be within a certain not a feat of each other, but uh, it turned out cool, man. I love the way that piano sounds. And is is all that out of the box, or did, is that? Did you ever put real drums on it, or is that out of the box too? Oh, that's all programmed. That one's whole, no real. The drums. The whole record nothing. is just you basically programming it. Yep, that whole thing. Yep. There's nothing real. The only real, I guess, the only mic'd instrument other than the vocals would be uh, acoustic guitar. I just pulled up. I had like no good mics at the time. I just had an eighty-one. 
put it up, recorded it. It was a pretty thin mono acoustic guitar that was more more so for kind of texture on that song. You know, I panned it and it acted, you know, opposite the shaker and it gave it a little bit of subdivision. But I think the piano and like the strings, there were some like uh, low synthy strings that kind of carried the the low mids on that. And then when the big section hit, I had like a bunch of nasty synths. I maybe put a little bit of electric guitar, but it was mainly those super bitey synths in Massive, which is like, you know, the EDM special, I guess. But I... I tend to use those sometimes layered up with, you know, single note electric guitar things. It'll really get that buzz kind of like indie rock, garage rock, dirty sort of sound and yeah. it'll make something hit pretty hard. I would think if I was Dan Shea, I would think that I would have the resources to pull in a string, you know, real strings or I don't I don't know, a real arranger maybe, even though you, maybe you don't need it. And I would be nervous putting a song out with everything in the box and thinking somebody's going to know intuitively that these aren't real strings or, and it sounds great. Like this is actually kind of surprising <laughs> to me because I would have guessed that it was all like real strings, but you never thought maybe I should get some, you know, real players on here and, and maybe someone's going to notice that this whole thing was done in pro tools and that's going to be weird. Or, or were you just super confident about it? I had so much momentum making that song that I got far enough along where I was like, ah, it's kind of done. I, it was just sort of flowing out of me. And then before I knew it, I was like, sounds kind of cool, man. Like the, the strings in there, the, the pizzicato stuff's like super bitey. And I mean, it sounds, when I listen back now, it sounds a little bit fake, but I feel like that, if you did it, we did actually do a version with real strings with a little bit more developed of an arrangement. Um, I think we performed it on... A T- a- AMAs or uh, Billboard Music Awards or something at one point. Um, but yeah, sometimes you can't achieve that same like synthetic sounding thing with real strings. And I don't know, it just kind of worked out for that song. I-, I am such a big, you know, fan of recording real strings. It blows our album budget because it's expensive and it's tough. I mean, to get those big live rooms, I love doing it in Ocean Way A on Music Row. And that room is nearly impossible to book out these days. You know, it's it's the best of the best. And um, there's nothing that can replace just the air and the bow hitting real strings um, with an orchestra. So anytime I get the chance to do that, I do. It's that's always such a good day. You've done most of the hard work on the record at that point. You know, you've done all the comps, the edits, the tuning, and and at that point, it's just like that's the glue, that's the icing, and there's no better feeling than hiding and making inactive those fake strings that I hated listening to all along. And, and, and you, the you real like thing. at no point did you think maybe let's go in like, I don't know, let's just do the strings or maybe it just didn't make sense or it was COVID too. Well, on like, that one, it that- was COVID. Yeah. I, I didn't really have any other choice. You know, we, people hadn't quite figured out the testing and going in and, and doing that in person again. And strings are a little bit tougher to do remote. You know, it's, I kind of like made a couple records with, you know, recording drums remote or with recording a bass player remote and that kind of thing. But strings are a little tougher to replicate. So much of that magic is how the chairs are positioned around the room, the relationship of the the strings playing with each other, the bleed from a certain thing into the the mic that's close on a certain other instrument. Like that's that magic that you can almost taste in a record, you know? What's the thing that I've heard you say that when you were producing this record, you felt like there was something that like you were trying to prove that you could do it all alone and you didn't need anyone's help. You were like, I could do this crazy masterpiece of a record on my own without Scott Hendricks, without anyone else. It was, it was, is that kind of what you were thinking when you were producing this? I mean, maybe deep down. Yeah. I mean, it's a little immature of me to think, but yeah, it's, there's, there's that to some degree at some point, you know, when we made a lot of these records, 
Scott is like my favorite collaborator in the entire world. I can't say enough great things about him. He's one of my best friends. He's my mentor. I learned pretty much everything I know from that guy. Um, I wouldn't tell him that. I don't want his head to get too big. No, I'm just We'll kidding. make sure he doesn't Scott. hear this. No, he's the best, man. He's the best. Um, at some point, you know, I was just like, I don't know if it was like an immaturity thing in me. I was like, man, I, I want people to know that I could produce records. And that's often like the but cause of produce- someone's demise. So many songs solo off the first record, like yeah, those were kind of just demos that kind of had evolved and you know into recorded versions. Um, and I guess listening back now, they kind of sound like that. But there was heart in them. I mean, they were they were special. They were you know they were momentary. They were moment in time. And um, yeah, this I was just like again out of necessity because it was COVID and because we didn't have any other choice. But I think I needed to do one that was like myself, so people could be like, all right he's not the guy just riding the coattails. He can actually do it. And the people in our circle that like need to know that I can make records, they know it. And at this point, man, I just, I don't care if there's 15 producers on a song, whatever's best for the song. You know, at the end of the day, the fans or radio or streaming services aren't concerned. Like, wow, I wonder if Dan solo produced that. It's like, they're either going to, I love this or not. And you know, that's one thing you learn along the way. Same with like writing songs. You know, I, I look at all these writers on Music Row and there are so many amazing writers who could do it themselves, but the power of collaboration, bringing in different ideas, bouncing things off of somebody, the sum of the parts is always greater than the individual, I think. Um, and all those people are highly capable and able to do it themselves, but you know, when you collaborate and you bring the best ideas into the pot, stir it up, I feel like that's when you, you get the best product. I heard um, uh, Shay say in an in interview, I think with Bobby Bones, he was saying that on award shows, when you guys are up for awards, that he is thinking more about you than himself because he thinks there's he thinks there's more sonically there's more at stake for you maybe than for him because you're so involved purely on the sonic side. I don't want to get that quote wrong, but that's definitely what he said on the Bobby Bones show. Do you think um, there's something to that? Because you were just saying that you think you know you wanted to kind of show to other people that like you know you're not riding the coattails, but I think for him he knows how much you're involved with and how much there's at stake sonically with the band that you're such a big part of. Do you think they're like, that's how it is? Or do you think that, you know, do you, are, are you worried about Shay? Cause you think he has so much at stake. Honestly, you know, this is, I could talk for four hours about this, but one of the main reasons that Shay and I are so we work as a duo is like, we're such opposites. And I feel like that makes us, if we were the same person, it wouldn't work. We would clash. We'd butt heads. You know, we complement each other so well. And I think that's, you know, that holds true for pretty much any duo or any group. Um, he is such an optimist, always has such a positive attitude, no matter what, you know, it's like if we sell 14,000 out of 15,000 tickets, I'll be like, Oh, we didn't sell that last thousand tickets. We suck or whatever, you know, and And he's half full, dude, we sold 14,000 tickets. That's amazing. You know, like we only sold 6,000 the last time we came to the market. You know, he's such an optimist, such a positive spirit. And I think, opposites attract obviously my wife is the most positive person in the entire world she is the one who keeps me going keeps me afloat if it were just me i would self-destruct everything is negative no matter what you know i'm looking out it's perfectly blue sky right now and i would find something i'd be like oh i see the wind sort of blowing it's uh maybe there's a cloud yeah exactly i would look at that one cloud and he is such a he is such an optimist when it comes to awards awards are tough for me man i and i know a lot of people have spoken out on this and i I've tried to get better over the years, but it's just in my blood. I think it's, I'm a like tremendously again, to a fault competitive person. And 
We all are, man. Anybody who's nominated for an award, we wouldn't be where we are if we weren't competitive to some degree. Um, and it's just hard. You know, there's a lot that goes into those award shows. Everybody deserves to win. If you're nominated, man, you had a great year. And there are a lot of people out there, whether it's a duo category, male vocalist, female vocalist. Think about all the people making country music in the world. And you were in that select four or five that got your name called, you know, it's crazy. And it really is something to be appreciated and acknowledged. But, you know, when the camera's on you, there's that guy comes up. He's got the camera, gets on one knee right in your face. And that whole year, all that you've worked towards, all that you poured your heart, soul, blood, sweat, and tears into rides on that one moment. Or at least it feels like it does. It, it doesn't when you take a couple no of days. No one really cares. Like, I, I know, couldn't I even know. tell you. Like, I know because I was just looking at the stats. But I, had to rem- I was like, what did they win for what songs and what? Like, nobody even knows. I just I know. go, oh, yeah, Tequila was on every award show. They sang it live. It was incredible. Yeah, it's it's tough. And then, and, and then in that moment, if you lose, it's like it almost in your head, if you're a psycho like me, invalidates everything that you've done. It's like, well, we weren't as good as those guys or we weren't as good as them. You know, and it's it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow, especially when you're on camera and you have to. We are. It's country music is a family. We do love everybody. And it's like, you know, but. I would say somebody's somebody's going to be lying if they say like, oh man, we didn't want to win that award. You're there. You got dressed up. You did the whole thing and you don't win. We all work hard on our music, man. And you know, not everybody can win. It It's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. And uh, you win some, you lose some. But man, at the end of the day, when you could get enough distance from it, in between award shows, I feel like I'm the happiest when I can say like, man, I'm just happy to be making music and people are listening to the music. People care. And if I can step back when I finish a mix and be like, I'm really, really proud of this, that's what I'm trying to to get myself to that point where that's why I'm doing it. And I think that's where I am right now. I've kind of found that space in the last eight to 10 months. And I think it's going to show in the new music we're working on. But it's not not always just about the award shows or the sellouts or, you know, the stat lines on the on the press sheet. It's all that stuff's great. Proud of everything we've accomplished. Proud of the awards. But man, I when you see somebody in the crowd having an emotional reaction to your music or you get a message and say, your music saved my life, you know, like that, that's the real stuff. And that's, those are the reminders why we do it. And I think it was tougher during COVID because we couldn't feel that in real time. You know, when you're on the road, you feel it every night. You see these people in the crowd that saved up their hard earned money all year to come see you in concert. There's nothing quite like that. And you can feel that feedback instantaneously, but during COVID, you didn't have that. You didn't have that acknowledgement. And um, it was a little tougher for us. But now that things are a little bit back to normal and we can get out on the road again and play shows and, and see people again or, you know, like actually have people come over and listen to the record, listen to the music without having to be 10 feet apart from them, I feel like we're in a, in a much healthier place. Makes a difference. So here's what you mentioned your wife, Abby. And here's what I want to ask about your wife, Abby, which I'm trying to wrap my head around. Because when you first you met her and she was working at the label in promotion at Warner and you I think you went to Chris Lacey and you asked Chris Lacey permission to ask her out. But this to me seems so crazy because she's working in promotion at a country label, maybe one of the most important jobs at the label. And maybe you make a move and and she rejects you and it's awkward or maybe you even start dating, but maybe you could break up and she'd be running your working your promotion, and that's still <laughs> awkward. So I think you're a genius here for pulling this off. How did you pull this off? And were you thinking like, oh God, this could if this goes south, the whole career, the whole duo could be screwed? 
Or were you just so in love with Abby that you just couldn't picture it any other way? I was, man. It was the greatest risk I ever took. And it paid off. It was great. You know, and but everybody how do you was, do it? How, everybody how, was very worried about it, actually. Were uh, they? They were. People were like, I don't know about this. This is like... And she was so... Because she grew up in country radio. Her dad is an absolute legend in the Country Radio Hall of Fame, Mike Kennedy. Like, ask anybody, any artist, he's the guy. And uh, she grew up around it, and she was always like, I will never date an artist. It's just, And she held, held to that. And I had to work so hard to get her to pay attention to me. And, you know, Shay was out there, single at the time. Everybody was like, well, Shay is probably going to be the guy hitting on Abby. And I was like, no. Wait, why'd they think that? Because he was the singer? Or, like, why, why are they thinking Shay's going to be the one? Shay, Shay's just the most outgoing, bubbly, like, you know, everybody was like, oh, Shay's, you know, she's a beautiful girl working at the record label. Let's just make sure, like... Nobody falls in love with her because, you know, if it if you break, like you said, if you break up, we're working a song at radio. If we have momentum, like we're in trouble. But she was so professional. She cared so much about the music, still does. I mean, she had 19 You and Me. She was kicking ass for us, man. 19 You and Me, it peaked at 11, which was heartbreaking for me that it didn't make it to top 10. It's all part of the story. And I think we were better because of it. It kept us moving, kept us working hard. But she had 19 You and Me in the top five for like, I don't know, eight weeks in her region in the Northeast. And I still say to this day, that's part of the reason why that's one of our biggest, you know, we go to Boston, we could sell a ton of tickets there, New York city, Pennsylvania, everywhere that she was working, that song was doing well. Um, and yeah, it was, it was crazy, man. We, uh, we kept it a secret for a while. And then there was one, we were so close with Espo, you know, as, as you know, he's, he's just the best went over to his house one day, he's sitting out by the pool and we both showed up and he knew what we were going to tell him. And he was supportive, man. He was cool with it. And it was like, I don't know. I, I He was kind of bummed because she was such a good employee at Warner Music Nashville when she left. Her passion is animal rescue. You know, her passion, being a promotion person is one of the toughest jobs in the entire world, especially when you're a beautiful girl going out there trying to do that on your own, driving around in an SUV with a bunch of clowns like Shay and I. Um, that's a tough job. And her passion and her heart was in animal rescue. And that's what she's doing now. She's actually throwing a, a big event tonight for for her animal rescue that her and Catherine Hurley run three year anniversary and thousands of dogs they've saved. That's going to be a, it's going to be a special night, but yeah, she did that. And I think that was the biggest bummer, I guess, for the label that they lost such a ringer employee who was going out there and killing it. Um, but, but what, like, I am so afraid to ask anyone out in the industry because I just think it's going to be weird. Like, unless I was, I knew I was really into someone. I, I just am so afraid to even like be out late at a bar with some, I don't know. It just seems so risky to me. How, like, how do you make the first move? Like what's the you first You got to do move? it, man. I, I do feel like mine, I really lucked out. It's the perfect storm because what we do is such a unique thing. And if somebody is completely disconnected from the industry, yes, I think that's healthy to a degree, but they might not understand the ins and outs of, you know, the crazy schedule or the travel or just what comes with it, you know, and she was close enough to it to understand, but she wasn't actively in it anymore where we were both coming home. You know, the music business is tough, man. It's brutal. We weren't both having to come home anymore, like beat up by radio or by travel or whatever it was. And I, it really worked out for me, but I just, I stayed on her, man. I was just, you know, I was What does persistent. that mean though? How, how are you persistent? Like, I think you, you would have to be so politely persistent like does does that mean were you like texting her were you like trying to ask her out to dinner like like what was happening I was yeah when we weren't together we were together a good bit which helped early on in our relationship because when you go on radio tour 
you're gone for months. You know, we were traveling around the Northeast together. We were technically going on dates that Warner Music Nashville was paying for really nice restaurants, which was awesome. You know, and while we were trying to get our records played, I was flirting with her and we're sitting there at, you know, when you go out on radio tour, you're trying to woo the radio guy that you're meeting for the first time and you go to the nicest restaurant in the town. You get the fanciest bottles of wine. It was pretty good setup for me, man. I didn't have to pay a dime out of my own pocket. Well, eventually I did, having to recoup all that. But, you know, it was great, man. And, uh, so, yeah. So if Chris Lacey had said, listen, Dan, this is your promotion person. I think this is a bad idea. I, I would not be mingling with her, at least right now. Would you have backed off or would you have said, eh, I'm going to do this anyway? You can't deny love, man. I was in love and, you know, it was what it was. I was, uh, you know, obviously I try to be smart with my business decisions, but sometimes in a situation like that, if if you're so into somebody, then, you know, everything else goes out the window. And that was kind of kind of how it went. And fortunately for us, man, it worked out in a big way. And, um, yeah, we're married. Been married five years now. And it's uh, she she is such a good sounding board for me, such an inspiration for me. And she understands what I'm going through, but she's no longer directly involved you know so we're not coming home both complaining about ah can you believe this or we lost this or this sucked or whatever it's you know i'm i'm enough of that pessimist for uh, for the household here um she's the best man she's awesome she understands that she gets it fully supportive and uh yeah big reason why i'm here so when you met dan for the first time you've told the story a million times but i've got some questions about it because dan's really outspoken but he was super quiet when you met him for the first time you were in like this tent in your house. First of all, I don't understand how you were living. When you talk about this time in your life, it sounds like you were basically homeless. Like you talk about how you couldn't even, someone wanted to bet you $5 and you couldn't even afford $5. I don't understand how you were literally living and wasn't your rent like $100? How were you paying? Where, where did you find rent for like $100? Dude, you've done your research, man. I love it. I love it. Now this, I feel like this story I've told so many times to, you know, to a certain extent that it almost seems like it's made up, but it wasn't made up at all. I have so many of these ridiculous stories. We, we had no money whatsoever. We were so broke. We lived in this house in Berry Hill and the house had no heat, no AC. There was a plexiglass front door and it was kind of bowed like this. So, you know, if you wanted to break in, you could just reach in and unlock it. That's how Shay got into the house the first night we met. He just um, broke in. And did yeah. any part of you think like, oh, let me go bartend a couple nights a week? Or or were you just like, I'm going to be broke. I have, z- I have zero money. I'm just going to make music. And like, I, I don't need any cash. Like, you, I've heard you say maybe it's like hyperbole, but I heard you say someone was like, wanted to bet you $5 that... Rascal Flats was going to put your song on hold, and you and I've heard you story. say you, you didn't have five dollars to bet. That's which true maybe story. that's a little bit of hyperbole on the five dollars part, but it kind of sounds real to me, actually. No, I actually didn't. I I didn't have any money whatsoever. It was we were living paycheck to paycheck. Well, if there was a paycheck, and I'll tell you how we we made money enough to pay our hundred dollar rent. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, when I moved here, I didn't take money or help from anybody. I just got in the car, drove down with a guitar that didn't even work. I think it was my brother's guitar or something that hadn't been played in years. I was like, I need something. My buddy Andy Albert and I, who's like a prolific hit songwriter now, still one of my best friends to this day, was in my wedding. And he's just on a tear right now, just killing it, getting cuts left and right, getting hits, and just he's the guy. Um, We moved to Nashville. We met through a mutual friend, Rohan, right? It's all full circle. And we're all still somehow in the game. You know, you stick around long enough and, and things will and happen. It's crazy. Not to cut you off. Is it just coincidence that Rohan ended up at Warner or were you part of the reason that he ends up doing A&R at Warner and being so part of your team? 
Because he I was, was kind of part of that, yeah. That, I mean, Rohan and I have such a history. I He was interning at Virgin Records in New York, and I remember going to New York City in high school for vocal lessons, and I would sleep on his floor. He was staying at the Columbia dorms. You know, hardwood floors, or concrete floors. I would just crash on the floor because I couldn't afford to do anything else. Ro and I have stayed super close ever since, and uh, he's just the best. He is the best here in the music business, and uh, he's one of my best friends too. And he, um, how how that came about was we were going into the studio to cut. Sorry, I'm going all over the place here. No, I'm gonna, I'm following. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tie yeah. it together. We were cutting four songs that day at Ocean Way and doing from the ground up, already ready. Uh, what else did we do? Maybe lipstick. It was a good day. We had a good good book that day, and I wasn't sure about the fourth song and. I, I hit him at 7 a.m. I was driving Ocean Way. I'm always the nerd that gets there first, has to plug in the hard drive, route everything, and get it how I want it for tracking. And I texted him, and I was like, yo, dude, driving to the studio today. I know it's last, because he was managing songwriters. He was managing Paul Giovanni and I think Andy at the time, a couple other guys. And um, I was like, please send me a hit. I need, like, something. Send me the best song you got, you know? And he sent me a song called Not To, right? That was the title on the MP3. And Adam other Hammer. artists had it on hold. Like yeah, were... I think Rascal Flatts maybe had it on hold. The demo sounded a little bit like a older Keith Urban kind of thing. It was like a little bit, you know, more chill. Um, we went pretty hard on the production, but um, he sent it to me, and I texted back. I was like, "We're cutting this today." He's like, "Ah, oh, you know, he's he's a very by the book guy, very professional." He's like, "I don't know, I it's on hold for a couple artists, and none of those guys that had hits at the time. That song was Paul D. Giovanni, Adam Hambrick, and Kevin Bard." all good friends of ours, so talented, who've gone on to have great success. Um, none of them had had a hit, so I feel like he was being precious about not blowing those holds that he had. And I was like, we're cutting it anyways. We'll figure it out later. And you know how holds go. You know, it's like you can never really count on a hold. Right. Unless, like, if somebody's holding a song and they really want to cut it, they're going to go cut it, you know, if it's that urgent. And that happens all the time. And um, we went and cut the song, and we sorted out the business affairs later. He he sorted that, and... uh we loved the song, man, and it went on to be a big hit for us. And after that, uh, I was just like working so closely with Roe with songs and, and everything else. And we were kind of in between A and R. I think Scott was had a lot on his plate, and he was producing a lot of records. And they needed to hire somebody. And I told Espo, I was like, "There's no better person you could hire than Roe." And Roe did it himself, man. His talent, you know, his his tact, everything that he does is is so deserving of that role. And and then some, man. He should rise to the the top of that company. Like he's the best. I will always go to bat for him. Um, and every young will. publisher in town, every young A&R, everybody wants to be friends with Ro because they think he's so hip. And he Oh, is. he's great, man. He's the best. He's, he's, he's the smartest okay. guy I know. Okay, so you're literally, you can't afford $5. You're 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 living in the, I'm, I'm bringing back. How yeah. are you making money? How are you paying the $100 rent? Dude, we did all kinds of stuff. We One thing, and I still get emails for this, and they still cross my mind. Should I go do this? It's like 20 bucks. It's not bad. I'll take 20 oh, bucks. Oh, the, uh, the, the, the survey things. Are, you, yeah, research groups. So the, we the would go, and Andy and I would go. We would like try on T-shirts, like Hanes T-shirts, and it would be like, write your feelings on this T-shirt, softness, firmness, whatever. And we would walk out there with cold, hard cash, 20 bucks. Like You get a couple of those lined up. We did one that was hard cider tasting, which is like a dream come true for – couple of young single guys like trying to get drunk and we went in and it was like you had to and you know those things it's like very I don't, I don't want to sound like an idiot here but you had to like sign up with a designated driver you barely tasted any it was like probably the total amount of hard cider was less than one hard cider when you walked out right but it was 250 bucks per person for that one and you had to have somebody dd you we signed up as each other's dd 
And, and obviously, <laughs> like I said, we weren't drunk driving home. We drank less than a beer, you know, or less than a cider in the whole thing. Right. But, you know, it was just like that was the formality that they had to go by. And we did, and we signed up. We each got 250 bucks. Man, we were living like kings after and that. And what was your, because you studied finance, so I'm assuming all your friends were getting these, like, high-paying jobs, and you're, like, you know, showing up to these survey groups or whatever, walking out with, like, 250 bucks. Like, do you somehow have health insurance, or that's just crazy? Like, if you had, if you had gotten super injured, you know, it was, I was game I, over. Yeah, I was living <laughs> on the edge, man. It was a frustrating time. Because all my friends I graduated with, I went to Carnegie Mellon, and they all went and worked on Wall Street, and they were making like almost six figures right out of college. Now they're, you know, they're they're all killing it, but there was still like part of those guys who would hit me up and be like, "Man, you're living the dream in Nashville. Like, see your pictures on Facebook. Like, you got to be so happy." I'm like, "Dude, I, I'm, I'm sneaking into the back of Little Caesars trying to intercept the worker closing up, throwing the pizza in the dumpster so that I can eat that night. It wasn't great." But did that keep you going or like, why did you not like, I, like, I feel like, like, you know, I can make enough money to pay my rent, but I still feel get very frustrated sometimes that I'm not accelerating faster or whatever. If I was making, you know, if I was doing these survey groups for 250, I don't know. It just seems like I would be so frustrated, but maybe you weren't, maybe you were just excited to be making music and in the town where, you know, people, you know, where the biggest country stars in the world were made. Maybe it just felt like it was all part of the path. Yeah, looking back on it now, it's easier to to laugh and smile about it and, you know, pull up old screenshots and emails when we scammed Taco Bell and given us this thing called Feed the Beat where you get like a couple $5 gift cards and, you know, whatever. All these all these dumb stories. But at the time, it was pretty tough, man. I mean, we, we thought about giving up. We kind of did give up, you know. We were a band. We were a, like an alt-rock kind of duo, Andy and I. And that's the music business. You know, it's like golf, Right. It's a lot of bad stuff happens. Then one good thing happens. You hit one good drive or one good shot or you chip one in and it gives you hope to keep going to the next the next step. And, you know, we had those little glimmers of hope. Every once in a while, we'd get a, an email from a record label, say, hey, I heard your music on MySpace or Facebook or whatever. And I think it's really great. Let's take a meeting. And we took meetings here and there, but nothing ever materialized from it. And it, I, I think these are all building building blocks and getting us to where we are today. You know, people talk about that all the time. And I think part of that is the reason why I've appreciated every good thing that's come our way in, in mine and Shay's career. You know, all these things that happened when we first got a tour bus, Shay hadn't gone through that kind of same struggle. He went through his own struggles, but not the same thing as Andy and I, right? And all those little bits, I feel like I was able to verbalize that to him. Like, dude, this tour bus, this is not normal. We need to appreciate every bit of this. And Shay and I are walking around taking videos, the whole deal, you know, like appreciating every little bit of it. And I still do, man. Like Andy and I get together and crush a couple beers and talk about how bad those times were. And just be, being able to go eat at Baja burrito now. And like, do I want to spring for guac for an extra dollar 50? Like I feel awesome that I can do that right now. And I, I, I'm the most frugal person on the planet. Ask anybody who knows me, I don't spend money on anything, but just the safety and comfortability of that. And the fact that I get to do that by making music and writing songs and doing what I love, man, I'm I'm such a lucky guy, and I'll never take it for granted. I really won't. But yeah, no. we we were struggling, man. It was uh, it was crazy. We how many <clears> years <throat> were you struggling before? I guess maybe you signed the first publishing deal as Dan three, Shea. No, like two years, two, almost two three years. years that Andy and I were doing our thing, and uh, it just didn't work out. And you know that was for the best. You know he's the, like the best songwriter I've ever known. Like absolutely brilliant, and. That he found his lane. Shay and I met when I had given up on doing the artist thing. I'd been an artist and 
played in pop punk bands and done the whole thing like everybody else in high school. But, you know, I had kind of given up on it. I was like, man, this isn't going to work, but I love writing songs. I love producing. So I had a laptop that barely worked. And I, I hung on to this laptop through like our... I, the first time I got a new one was right before our self-titled album. So I did the first two albums on a laptop. You know how like technology ages. It's you like don't every think you could have gone years. to the label and you easily could have gone to the label and said... I, I'm producing this record. I need a new laptop. A thousand percent. And they always offered it. But I just, for some reason, I'm so stubborn and had too much pride to even shade. Like to this day, I'm running off like the crappiest laptop. So old. You know, they've got the M1 processor. Why would you not get a high-end laptop? It seems like there's so much at stake here. I know. With the music, there's so much more at stake than having a a crappy laptop. That doesn't make any sense to me. It's terrible. That's a terrible idea. Speaking it out loud right now, I just need to go to the Apple store and buy a new one. But But you know how technology goes, though. It's like, oh, I heard a rumor that they're coming out with a new 16-inch MacBook Pro with the M2 chip in it in October. And then it, you know, and then you just can't keep up with technology. But mine is... It's pretty suspect. Only three of the ports work, so I have to like daisy chain a bunch of stuff. This is crazy to me. I I don't understand why you wouldn't just go get like a a current laptop. Who cares if a new one comes out next month? The ports will work. I know. That's true, man. That's true. That would be smart, but I guess I'm not smart. That's Here's here's what I'm trying to understand, though. So this night when Shay comes over, he breaks. I, I don't know. He shows up at this house. It's a big party. You guys are all sitting around your kitchen in a sheet because because you literally can't afford heat, so you're you're in this sheet, staying warm. Shay for and Shay's sitting there silently like all nights, two a.m. And then he goes, I don't, I, I just can't picture this. He goes, Hey, can I can I try one? And someone gives him the guitar, and somewhere I've heard this voice memo, and he sounds like unbelievable. And I just don't get like, was he just like, did, do you think he knew how good of a singer he was, and was he just waiting for his moment? to to sing to kind of like show everyone off or do you think he maybe wasn't so confident in his singing ability at the time and was he shy about it i think he was confident in his singing ability but i don't think he was confident enough because we all are we're so close-knit we had a bunch of guys in that tent at that time and that real quick that story is ridiculous we didn't have heat andy and i went to music city thrift on nolansville road spent six dollars and we got a bunch of sheets and we created like a circus tent it was pretty insane. Definitely a fire hazard because he brought a uh, a space heater from his parents' house in Atlanta. It was it was a nice vibe, man. It was cool. Like looking this back sounds, on it now, I think like, I would love this. I, it was I feel pretty like sick. I'd be at this house all the time, it, dude. It was pretty sick. Pretty sick vibe. And um, he he wasn't really saying much. He was just chilling there on this futon. We were all kind of singing. We all knew each other for so long. Justin Richards, our guitar player, was there. I'd known him for. 10 years, you know, he was in a band called A Rocket to the Moon, a bunch of other guys that we had known for a long time. So Shay was kind of like the new guy, didn't really say much. We're passing around guitars, singing terrible songs, and he gets the guitar, and I was just like, everybody's jaw just hit the floor. It was like, this is insane. Best singer ever. I titled a voice memo on my phone, best singer ever. And um, Right. Yeah, it, it was just that. It was like, it's exactly how it went down, and I couldn't believe it. It changed my life. Like, it was, it was the greatest, you know greatest musical aha moment that I had ever had. I had given up on being an artist. Well, at that time, I still was not convinced I was going to do the artist thing. I was like, I just found a guy that maybe I could produce this guy with my stolen version of Logic and Cracked Waves plug-in pack on my computer that barely works. And and we did, man. We made a bunch of demos and uh, somehow we weaseled our way into a record deal and a publishing deal. And and here we are. Here's, Here's my other question, though. 
Is there someone else in that room that technically could have claimed him as their duo partner? Or were you the only one that it, that would like, is it possible that someone else could have said, holy crap, I need to get involved with that and could have teamed up with him instead? Like, did you have to fight to say, no, 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 no. you and I are going to be a thing. Let's meet at Starbucks tomorrow. Or was That's it- a good question. I, I mean, I it's like the the butterfly effect or whatever they call it. Like, what might have happened if somebody else woke up at seven a.m. and went to Starbucks and went to the writing session with him that day? You know, I I feel like everything happens for a reason. Whenever we, you know, we complement each other so well. Our duo, we're best friends. Like, still to this day, we're, our relationship, our friendship is stronger than it's ever been. Everything that he does or doesn't do, we we kind of balance each other out, and it really worked. Um, but there were just so many crazy things that like made it seem too good to be true. Like it was just a fate thing or a God thing. You know, Shay had spent a lot of time in Pittsburgh. His sister was there. She was working at a church. She was going to school in Pittsburgh, not just Pittsburgh proper, like the weird, like outskirt suburb that I grew up in. Allison Park is where this Allison Park church is where he was working. It was like less than a mile from my parents' house. And he spent all this time there. We were probably there at the same time. Didn't even know each other. All these like weird overlapping similarities. Like, wow, man, this is this was meant to happen. When it happened, I think too. You know, I had, you know, busted it and like, you know, cut my teeth doing the pro t- or the logic thing at the time and like figured out how to to make tracks, you know, enough to be able to record such a good singer. And we made these demos and wrote songs. And if I hadn't gotten to that point and like, you know, really figured that out on my own, like we may have met at the wrong time and it may not have panned out to be what it panned out to be. Um but yeah, man, I'm I'm fortunate I got to to be the guy on the other side, you know. And still to this day, when I record him, when he comes over here and stands right behind me and, and sings these songs, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world to to get to hear his voice. You know, it's it's a challenge recording Shay because when I, I was sing, gonna ask, yeah, there's one good take when I sing. I'm like, well, yeah, take th- that's the one. Okay, cool. Comp that word from here. Drop this here. This is the only usable pass with him. I'll get people ask sometimes, is it first take? I'm like, well, yeah, you nailed it on the first take, but I'm a psychopath and make them do 10 passes just because there might be magic in pass eight. There usually is. Eight's the magic one. It's really? Either four or eight that I usually Mul- pull multiples pretty much of four. Pretty much everything in my comps from. Um, and do you just, uh, is it just like an SM7B? Like, like what do you record them with? No, I, we, I have a pretty good plug chain like a UA universal audio. I don't know if you use any of that stuff yeah. in the box chain that I do like on the bus. That's just like a 1073 into a CO1B pretty basic chain, but I have that pretty dialed, um, on an SM seven and then a little simple waves plugin chain and pro tools that makes it sound good right away. Um, for on the bus, but here I, I have a mic tech CV three. That's pretty modded out. There's a great engineer in town that I love working with. His name's Jeff Balding. Um, we did a big mic shootout before our second album. We tried out everything, you know, <clears throat> expensive mics down to an SM7. I think we even tried a 58. And he sounds good on anything he sings into. He sounds great on an SM7. It's such a even mic. You can pretty much make an SM7 sound like anything. But I think that was came in second place. But this Jeff Balding's modded mic tech was the, the one. It's just unreal. So I bought the base model, and I had this guy, Shannon Rhodes, come and mod it, which was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. He has, like, his goggles on, you know, magnifying glass, and he's tweaking diodes in this mic, and he would tweak it for an hour. We we rented Oceanway to do this, right? It's crazy. And then he would tweak it. We'd set up the mic. Shay would sing. I would say, change this, change this, and he would do it again. And it we got it to a place where it was, like, perfect. It sounds like a finished vocal 
when he sings. I run him through a Martech MSS10, um, and I have a retro 176 compressor here that I use for a lot of our records, but I've just fallen in love with the in-the-box Unless Retro wants to start giving me free stuff or something, then I'll go back to it. Now's, but, uh, now's the chance, Retro. Yeah, dude, let's go. The UA stuff's so good. And I, I love CL1B compressor, and the CL1B in, uh, in UA is amazing. So I'm running him through an outboard pre and then an in-the-box compressor. And great signal, clean signal, and it works, man. We've just... You know, now I have a little bit more treatment and panels in here, so we don't have to go as crazy. But I'll still take... I have cushions right here. Uh, from an old patio set, random panels. I'll like put them in front of these windows because I I'm just like I need the natural light because most of the time I'm just sitting here working in headphones, so yeah, I don't right. have like crazy boxed off you know bomb shelter studio, but it's good enough to track a vocal. You know I'll do that and uh yeah man we kind of just do that here just the two of us and uh we battle it out and I feel like we we get a good product out of it. Do you have visions of building like the ultimate home studio or do you really feel like you you don't even really need it? Like you've produced hits without it. Um, I, I love this space that I'm in right now. The biggest thing for me is being able to have a separate door. Like for until right now, my house is like, I've got a little patio here and then the house, but it's all glass, right? It's all like a big fish tank looking thing. And The toughest part for me is, yes, while I'm separated by a door, like I have to walk outside to get to it, that's very healthy to me. Um, But it is all glass, so my dogs will be sitting there with their paws at the door just waiting for me, and I'm sitting here editing vocals like, man, they're getting older. They're like almost 10 now, and I'm like, you know, those thoughts start running through your mind, and I'm like, "Ah, I should take them outside, and then I get distracted. Sometimes the separation of having to drive somewhere to work is is good. I've always thought about, you know, if I could find a spot, I don't want to have to drive too far, but a couple minutes getting in the car, it really helps me for writing. We'll do some sessions here, but for writing, I get so many of my ideas when I go for a run or when I get in the car to drive to somebody's studio or somebody's house. Like if I know that pressure's on and that's 17 minutes, the GPS says to get to Jordan Reynolds house or whatever, I'm like, okay, I got to come up with a hook, got to come up with a chorus, got to come up with something versus staying here. I'm like, I'm in my gym shorts you know, workout shirt, like no pressure whatsoever. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's a blessing and a curse. I think we all kind of went through that ebb and flow during COVID. It was like, this is amazing. I don't have to leave my house. And then everybody was like, I need to leave my house. And we that's gotta get kinda, out. Yeah, exactly. I think it's healthy. So, okay. So I want to talk about the tour for a minute because I feel like there's this thing that people have really caught on to at the beginning of your tour, which is now wrapped. So I don't think it's like a giveaway. You guys come out of the X in the center of the arena. And I think that people have caught on that. I think the way you get out there is they put you in a flight case and they roll you out right before you go on. Is, is that true? Is that how you get out there? Can't reveal the secret. No, I'll reveal the secret. Are you serious? No, I swear. No, that, that is how we did it. That's it was, how you did uh, So dude, how does that work? So we had this, like, the plus sign. That was always the vision. When we came up with that logo, my buddy Pat, Pete Tracy. He does all killed, He does yeah, all, all, all the creative stuff. for Dan Shea. We grew up together, went to high school together. We moved to Nashville together. He was living in the tent, too. Um, he started now to have success. Now he lives success. in, like, Aspen. Or where does he live? He lives in Colorado, He right? lived in Aspen for a year. He's very, very, like, mountain man kind of vibe. But he's in Nashville. Um, he lives on the west side of town. Um, he started to have success quicker than we did because he was able to pick up, like, lyric videos you know just like people needed work and he was doing it on the cheap so he started to rock you know before shay and i got going but when shay and i started 
he was there. Like we always said he was the plus sign in the band, you know, held us together. All that content, we were so in it with him. And um, him and I were trying to come up with a logo. We are like, <clears throat> it was down to that in an ampersand, right? This curvy thing. And we were like, someday we're going to have an arena tour and we're going to take a plus sign, put it in the middle of the arena, and that's going to be our stage. And like, we did it. You know, it was crazy. When we got there, wow. we, knew, we knew we needed to do that. Because a plus sign is way easier to build than an ampersand. Oh yeah, you can't it, you, to stand on an ampersand if you really did it. You know, I guess if it was big enough, you could have people in between all the holes. Yeah, 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 yeah like cool. an award show or it's too something. much though. It'd, it'd be way too much. We can't afford that. No, we're gonna stick to the plus <laughs> sign. And we we did. We wanted to start the show out there. We had like this crazy, crazy video piece. I did a wild sound design with like voices and strings and the whole you know nature thing on the main stage with a huge sixty five foot video wall across the whole stage just wild and that's happening so everybody's looking at the main stage and i was like i want like the little bait and swap situation and i want to start out there we got to figure out how to get there we were like toying with different ideas there was one that was like a bridge some like pop artists will do the bridge that goes over and you lower down out in the center that was too expensive so we bought this road case from kevin hart right that says how he's a tiny guy right he's short and he rode in that thing by himself because he started his arena show out in the middle of the arena we bought it from him and it had like you know lights or something written on it just try to be a distraction discreet we were like man okay so originally the plan was we were gonna go one of us was gonna go out the case was gonna come back and then it was gonna pick the other person up it was like that's too obvious we can't go out twice so we both snuck in there. I mean, I'll, I'll send you a picture of it. I'll text it to you. It's ridiculous how crammed it was. I mean, we were, especially when we're sweaty, like when we did it in the middle of the show, it was like, it was pretty bad. Oh, wait, I'm trying to think because I, I, you do it in the middle. I, for some reason, was remember, I felt like you guys walked across the arena or you went down the stairs on the X and then you walked. But you, now I'm trying to think about it. You guys actually, we you did go all back. It. You go back in the case. It was important for me in that show to do go through every aisle, right? We we went in the case, we started the show. By the end, we had to cut a vent in it because it would get so hot. Especially those arenas were sold out. It was like stuffy in there. And we had our guys put lights on it, like, you know, mover lights, so it looked like they were going out to swap something. And we would cram in there. We'd have to go out. Like, this is the thing that we didn't think about in the day sheet. The show started downbeat 8.30 every night. Like, usually you can be like chilling, you know, drinking water, going pee at 820. Walk right on. Walk right on. But I was like, you had to be ready more than 10 minutes in advance. So like our band guys were chilling, having drinks, talking to people. And we had to leave early because we had to get in there like while people were still filing in, you know, so it was like a little less obvious. But we had a vibe down under the plus sign. We had like a little, uh, a cooler set up with some drinks and waters, whatever, uh, a fan. We had a monitor down there with like all the camera ops. So we could like kind of see the crowd filing in. It was good for our energy, like being under that stage whenever like the intro started, we, we were in it. We could watch people like, you know, throwing their hands in the air and, and doing that. And, uh, yeah, we, we started the show out there. We rode out in Kevin Hart's road case and, it was, and you and was Shay are just like next to each other, just like oh, yeah. tight, Dude, basically. It was, it was insane. It was and insane. I, I would be worried that like, did, did you have your outfits in the plus, like at least your jackets or whatever? Like I'd be worried that I would like wrinkle my shirt or my jacket. We went out full deal. We went out there in our full show gear. 
tight jeans. Like it was tough, dude. It was, it was bad. Hopefully that'll be the last time we have to do it that way, but it worked, man. Well, by the end of the tour, people were catching on. They were like, Shay, Dan, I know you're in there. I know you're in there. And we would like sometimes be like, help, help. I don't know if anybody ever heard us. People are like Harry Styles. I just saw him at uh, the garden in New York. He did the same thing. He rolled out in a flight case and everybody knew it was happening. And when the flight case rolled out, and went to the stage. The whole place started screaming. Like, oh yeah, this is this is like a new trend. It's an exciting moment when the when the uh, artist gets rolled out, stuffed in the flight case. Yeah, maybe next tour we'll we'll roll a flight case out so people think we're in it and then start on the main stage. How that would be that? genius. That How would be. Did they I, do that. You you have to do that. Did you guys want a? Um, I was watching the stage and the show is incredible. And now Thank now you, there's now it's done. So if you didn't see it, you're screwed. But um, show was incredible. Did you guys ever think about a catwalk or anything or anything? Like it felt like you guys wanted to come out a little bit on a catwalk in that stage, or was the plus the catwalk, and it was cool to have that separation. Yeah, the tricky thing was with that production, we kind of settled on everything after we had put the tour on sale, and all the rooms sold out right away. So you know you had to accommodate a certain amount of people based on fire codes in every city in those certain spots. I wanted to have two catwalks. Maroon Five kind of did a similar thing where they were coming down the sides so we could both like run down the sides. We just couldn't do it. Like it would cut too much into that floor space. Some of those floors are smaller than you think. When you get the soundboard and everything out there, you know, that ice or whatever the rink enclosure yeah, right. is isn't that big. So we had we were kind of limited on what we could do. Um staging wise, but yeah, it it made it a little tougher when that was the case we couldn't have a catwalk because just because of the space and we were like do we need to do the bridge but that would have like doubled our production costs we were like you know what we're road casing it out there we're doing That's it. it but sometimes i do love a thrust like a you know catwalk that comes out in the middle it's awesome but it does sometimes split the crowd energy you know like you've got people over here people over here sometimes having that in the middle like That's breaks so up true, actually. the group yeah. think like let's go crazy thing when it's just one wide open pit and people are hyped like it goes pretty punk rock in there. Do you think because the show was such, even the Kenny shows, when you guys were just out with Kenny, I just saw the Nissan show. It's all really high production and there's tricks and great video walls. And I feel like an epic live show that almost feels like a big pop show is kind of like the Dan Shea thing. Do you feel like you need to keep elevating the bar with production? Or do you think if you went out with a show that was similar to the last production like, are you okay with that? Or do you feel like you need to keep elevating the production in a big way every tour? Yeah, I feel that pressure. Um, I, you know, I pride myself on going on social media after a show and having people comment, like, I've never seen anything like that. Or like, that was, especially in the country space, like, we always, it's important for us to always, no matter what, have that moment where it's just Shay and I with a piano and an acoustic guitar, like how we started on our first tour you know, reminding fans that, A, we can still do that. And like, you know, we haven't forgotten what got us to where we are today. So we made sure to do that. And some nights it went longer than it should have. We'd be up there for 45 minutes taking requests and singing random cuts. Um, but yeah, I do feel that pressure. And I've already kind of got a vision for what the next tour is going to be. Um, it's going to be elevated. We're going to try to do it in the round in arenas. Um Hopefully we can throw a couple stadiums in there at some point, but uh, oh yeah, yeah, we, we've got a few ideas that we're kicking around. Um, uh, yeah, just being able to get more people in there when you do an end stage like that, sometimes you know you you get you can't sell probably twenty percent of the arena behind the stage. In right. some markets, we ended up Could putting have. up 
like it sold out real fast. And then we would like Salt Lake City, for example, we were almost in the round there because people were willing to buy tickets behind the video wall. And it was there's disclaimers like obstructed view. And I'm like, really? You want to? I don't know. People did it, man. And we're grateful for it. But I think this go around will we'll probably be a little bit more thoughtful about the production, the design and the layout before we put the tickets on sale so we can do what we want rather than having to accommodate based on what we sold. Um, good first world problems for sure. But uh, I've kind of got an idea for the next one. Tour was amazing. The show was incredible. It was Dude, probably thank one you for being ever, there. Everyone probably says this to you, but um, for me, it was like the last show I saw before the world shut down uh, at Bridgestone. And I just saw you guys at the Kenny show, which was amazing. Um, and now you guys are done. What, what are you doing for the rest of the year? You're just like, like you've got nothing going on. So you're coming on this podcast. It's like, what, what else is happening? It, Dude, I'm it, sorry. I left you hanging for so long. I, no, I no, no. Podcast for a long time. I also like sometimes people go on the press junket whenever they're like releasing music and trying to promote themselves. Like we're not, re- we're promoting a single at country radio right now. It's you. Up the yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was about to talk about it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's doing well. It's got some momentum right now and grateful for it. But we're not like, you know, promoting a new album or anything. I just, I like what you do and I wanted to come on and chat with you. I think you're very thoughtful. You're a smart dude. You care about music. You care about the business and uh, mad respect. But anyways, yeah, I'm here. I'm in the studio. Um, We are in like the biggest creative wave of our career. I I know everybody always says that. We're making the best album and I tweeted it on the last album. You got to say that. But Shay and I had this moment. And I hope we, we can continue to say that every album we make. We we had this moment, like, we did the arena tour. We accomplished everything we set out to accomplish. You know, we took a step back. We took a break for a couple months after that tour finished last December, I think it was. And um, I just didn't do music for a little while. I was kind of fighting it, you know, whole long story. And was doing it for the wrong reasons and whatever. And kind of was beating myself up over a lot of stuff. And I realized the thing that I love the most is creating. Writing music, producing music. And I... Last year, only wrote four songs, and that was like a sin. That was a crime because we were busy. I got too carried away with social media trying to, and I still, you know, that's why we haven't been as active on socials just because I'm in studio mode. And I we're not really. You guys made a post that was like, hey, we're not going to be on socials anymore. Maybe it was a story because I went back and I tried to find it. But at some point, you guys posted and you said, hey, we're going to be taking a break from socials. I thought yeah, that was yeah, really yeah. Cool. I think I posted it on, on story. Um, I just. I want our fans to know when we're on socials that it's actually us and not somebody. And everybody's different. There are some artists who I know don't have Instagram on their phone. And it's like, team so-and-so posted this. That's okay. Like, everybody's different. We've built such a rapport with our fans from day one that it's just me running it on my phone, you know? And if we're in the studio and we're busy and we're not posting as much, I want fans to know that, like, we're either taking time with our families or making music. And right now it's kind of ambiguous. I haven't posted like teaser clips or really bought into that whole thing just because I'm so head down and and trying to get better about like doing all the things at once but I got too carried away with social media and I didn't do any songs I did two songs for another band's album and two Christmas songs last year that's it I was like you know what I need to fall back in love with music and the thing when I was the happiest when Shay and I were riding the highest was when we were writing every day or we were writing most of the days in the week and I know life happens you know we both have families now. We're in a different place. We don't live in a tent together or in Bellevue together, whatever we were living. You know, it's a little bit different, but we need to go out of our way to do what fills our cup. Um, I was like, I'm going to write 50 songs this year. And for any, like a songwriter, that's nothing. Like some people will write 150 songs a year. No big deal. But it was right. a manageable goal for me. 
And I just started hitting this like stride of ideas and concepts. And, and we went back to the basics. Like we were writing with an acoustic guitar and a piano like we did early on because we didn't have any other option, you know, instead of writing to fully produce tracks. And, you know, I, I think that that stuff's great. It's awesome. But I feel like it can kind of dictate the way the music sounds or how hard you end up digging for every line, every lyric of every song. And we just kind of went back to the essentials, back to the drawing board. And man, we hit just such an amazing place creatively, musically. We wrote, I don't know, we hit that 50 song mark by maybe like March or April. And it was like, dude, we got a, we got a couple albums worth. And we're not going to probably be the act to put out 40 songs on an album. I have mad respect for guys who can do Super that. Super like, trendy right now. Dude, mm-hmm. I mean, Zach Bryan, he is prolific, man. The guy can write songs in his sleep. And that is so, I admire that, you know, on the highest level. Why not do that? Do, do you think that maybe in a sense when so- someone does that, and not even talking specifically about Zach Bryan or anyone, but do you think maybe they have they lack the ability to edit when they just drop 40 songs? Like maybe maybe they're not picking the best ones and that it would be a tighter project if, if it was only 15 songs. Yeah, I don't know. Everybody's different. Zach is, he's such an anomaly. Morgan Wallen, the same thing. He put out the double album and it was incredible. Every song was incredible. It It's hard to, Zach's is 34 songs and they're all great. Like it's hard to do that many songs, but he's just one of those guys who's just so high level, so prolific, like a Bob Dylan or something, you know, a Bruce Springsteen where these songs just fall out of them. And I feel like I've listened to, you know, a couple interviews with him and kind of studied his craft. I feel like a lot of his thing is his fans who are diehard, rabid fan base are kind of watching him grow as a songwriter and an artist, like, you know, in real time, which is really cool. We kind of came up in a bit of a different era, different time where, you know, everything was based on your single at country radio. Everything was based around that specific rollout. Um, and we're kind of somewhere in between that now, but man, I, I'm so, I don't know, again, to a fault, picky and protective about what we put out there. And I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. Maybe we just don't like have as much output as those guys, but that's okay. Everybody's different. You've got that, or you've got a Sam Hunt Montevallo, which is eight or nine songs. Maybe it's 10. I don't know, but it's a shorter album, but it's, jam-packed front to back just bangers you know it's so good everybody's different and you got to do what suits you best and i think what suits us best is kind of the traditional 12 13 songs sort of thing but i feel like we're we're in a space now where we have so much to choose from and we're cutting we're in i'm in pro tools land 18 hours a day not sleeping as you could tell from the bags under my eyes that's why i don't turn my light on here um we're working man we we're in the best place we've ever been musically and creatively more important than that, our friendship is better than it's ever been. Um, we're hanging out like we never fought, but I just feel like we're on such the same wavelength right now with where we want to be, where we want to go. Everything we've accomplished in the past, super grateful and appreciative. And I think taking that time after the arena tour, COVID wore on us, man. It it like it was such like a mental I don't know roller coaster. Being on tour, then not being on tour. Are we ever going to tour again? Is our career yeah, over? Right. When we come back, is anybody going to show up? And it all went great. We had, but we had to juggle that, and um, that was hard for us. So to take that time to reset, cleanse the palate, and be back in it, I feel like I don't know. It's just a whole brand new era for us. And people have asked, like, dude, when are you releasing new stuff? It's been, you know, the first song on the Good Things album came out in 2018, October 4th or 2019. October 4th, 2019 was 10,000 hours. So that was like almost four years ago, man. It's a long time. Um, 
I guess that would be three years now. But by the time new music comes out, whatever. Point is, it's yeah. coming. We're working. It's coming, dil- yeah. We're, why, like, I go on the road with a band that's some of my best. I go out with Temecula Road, and I play guitar. I was going to ask. Are you out with them? I saw you post pictures. That's awesome, I've been, dude. I've been out playing guitar for them, which I was never supposed to do. I mean, I studied guitar in college, and I, I grew up playing guitar, but I never thought I was going to be a professional guitar player and one day i was at dinner with them and they needed a guitar player and i jumped in and i said one date we're only gonna do one date and then the next date was opening up for gary lavox and i said oh i'll do two dates and now now i've just been on the road with them i'm doing the breland tour with them um and we've got a ton of dates coming up but the point is i they're some of my best friends i love them they're some of the best people i go on the road with them and when we come home i they're like let's go get dinner i'm like why would i get dinner with you i was just out with you for five days or i was just like i i and i haven't been hanging out with them nearly as long as you and shay would be hanging out i would think that you guys could be great friends and go out on the road and then come back home to nashville and just not see each other at all and be totally content with that but you guys are actually hanging out sounds like we are man we are and um I feel like what you just said is like a the sign that you're with the right people. If you want to hang out with them after being on the road for so long or being in the trenches with them, that's like that's real friendship, you know. And that's that, real friendship, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> dude. And you know, it, it is healthy to have that distance and separation. And you guys will find that balance, you know. And and Shay and I have really found that balance. And we're just, I don't know, we're so grateful to get to do this, and we love it. We love it more than we ever have. And we've got a fan base. We've got people who have gotten us to where we are and supported us and been so good to us. And man, we get to, to write songs. And when we write a song we like, we can record it right here and we can release it to the world. You know, that's we're you know, very fortunate that we get to do that. A lot of people don't, you know, a lot of songwriters rely on hoping an artist is in the right timing in their cutting cycle or their album cycle to record the song that they think is the best song, you know? And when we like a song, we can record it. And hopefully there will always be people out there to listen to it. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep working hard to raise the bar for our fans, for radio, for everybody who's listening, man. They deserve that. And, uh, you know, you're going to try different things. And we've we've gone on that course in our career. We've gone this direction. We've gone this direction. You experiment, figure out what works. Sometimes you push it a little too far. Sometimes you don't push it far enough. But when you really get it right, you know, and and the fans will let you know. Do you think, and we're running, running out of time here, I, I don't want to uh, keep you Dude, I'm good. You, I, I got all the time in the world. I'm, I'm chilling. You, I, even though you guys, I've never heard anyone say anything but great things about Dan Shea, and you guys seem super humble, but I would imagine that there might be other artists in the format who look at you guys and they go, the pop crossover success, the song with Justin Bieber, the mega management, Scooter Braun, uh, the fact that you're part of the band and you can just go and record and you're a genius producer. Like I feel like other artists in the format would get very jealous of Dan Shea and maybe they, uh, maybe that shows sometimes. Do you ever experience that or does that not really happen because Nashville is such a tight kick, uh, tight knit community? Man, not, not necessarily from other artists. Um, I think we're pretty outgoing and we've met pretty much everybody. And I, <clears throat> I always try to pride myself on being hip to who's coming up next, you know, new artists and I'll reach out to them and say, Hey, I love your new music, love the songs. And sometimes those acts usually come out, on the road with us, you know, first to three, second to three. And we like to take out stuff that we really believe in. And we've, you know, we've tried to meet as many of these folks as we can. And, uh, you know, right now there's like a plethora of new artists coming out that I'm trying to like keep my head on a swivel. Like this guy's killing it. This girl's killing it. And I want to know them. I want to get to know them. I want to go out and see them and see them in concert. But, um, you know, when we first got signed, there were some people at the label who were like, is this too good to be true? Is, are these guys like, a pop act that we just planted in country to 
to have a platform to launch off of, to go to top 40 and whatever. It's like the one guy produces the songs. The one guy is the best singer in the world. Like, like you just said, is, is it too good to be true? And I, we, we were like so adamant that that, you know, I think people have to quickly realize that wasn't the case, right? We were just genuinely writing the songs that we were writing just that organically fell out and, uh, and having the best time in the world doing that. And I think like eventually people realize like, oh man, this is genuine. When Shay and I would walk through the hall, that's how we got our name. You know, we would walk through those halls. We weren't even a band. We were writing two guys writing songs together. Oh, Dan and Shay's here again. Oh, Dan and Shay's here again. We got to buy them a free lunch, you know, and we would walk through these halls. And when we were getting things going, we were trying to figure out what our name should be. And we were just like, I, I mean, Dan and Shay, I guess everybody calls us that. Was like, it we just- Scooter who said, who actually said, why don't you just, just call yourself Dan Shay? Or is that? Yeah, not true? I think it was actually. I think it was. Um, we were trying to come up with band names and none of them were working. So yeah, we, we ended up going by Dan and Shay and here we are. We threw a plus sign in there. It's a whole, whole bit that's carried through 10 years later. But, uh, yeah, man, we're just, you know, we're so fortunate to have met each other and still to this day, our, our friendship is the most important thing. And, I think people can feel that through the music. Um, can feel that in our live show. And I think going forward, this next tour, I feel like where we are as people right now, it's just going to be on a whole other level. Like our gratitude and appreciation, we're always grateful. We always were standing on that stage. But I don't know. I just feel like a cloud has lifted off of me after COVID and after everything we've gone through, highs and lows. And now it's just like, man, we get to do what we love and we're going to keep doing what we love for better or for worse. You know, I, I was talking about this with, with music and country music. The pendulum is always going to swing in different directions, whether it's more traditional, more pop leaning, but uh, you know, we'll live and die by it. We're always going to just be ourselves. You know, we're unapologetically going to be authentic. We are going to do whatever comes out when we write songs as Shay and I, we're not going to try to chase what's going on now or what was going on yesterday or what's going on tomorrow. It's, you know, if we fail because that was what naturally came out, so be it, man. I, I feel like, you know, where you are in that pendulum, whether you're in phase or out of phase of that pendulum, fans react to authenticity and, and people who are genuine, you know, I think that cuts through in the music, whether you know it or not. And, um, it's where we are, man. I I'm really proud of this stuff we're working on. And as soon as I can get myself to commit to some mixes, I'll send them to you. I want you to hear them. I, I want to, I want the Espo treatment. I, I want to come Dude, over, come over, man. I got Put the, the headphones, headphones on headphones. the expensive the headphones. Whole- Done. And I, I'm, I'm going to give you real life uh, feedback. Dan, uh, thank you so much for coming on. We've been trying to make this happen. And I, I, I just thought, you know what? This is what I actually thought, to be totally honest. I thought there's no way he's going to come on this podcast. And because he, because I was like, he's probably not going to see, see my DMs. So I'm just going to keep DMing him until he says yes. I feel like I sent you like three or four DMs that were probably so annoying. No, and dude. I- finally, we got you on. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm sorry it took so long to hit back. I'm so bad about DMs and emails. You You've have my got, number now. I texted you. I was like, hit me, call me, text me, whatever. You got my number. And uh, man, I, I really do love what you do. I um, I follow you on on the podcast and follow you on social media. It's it's great stuff, man. I'm a big fan and you're doing it the right way. And it's badass that you're also a killer guitar player and can go on the road with a great band like Temecula, man. They're they're super talented and trying. they're killing it right now. They're, uh, you know, they're bound for the top, so... Stick with them and, and stick doing what you're doing, man. It's it's amazing. I love it. Dude, I so appreciate it. And somehow you've never gotten a speeding ticket. Is that is that still the case? I've never gotten a speeding ticket. I've never gotten one. So, I My wife calls me out for it all the time. I drive very slow. We just drove back from Florida oh, that's, yesterday. that's what it is. You, you yeah. just drive very slowly. I try to slowly. be like, 
people are going to make fun of me for this. I try to be like five to seven miles an hour over the speed limit. And especially when I have precious cargo, four dogs in the back, I'm going so slow, two hands on the wheel. My thought is like, okay, we could make, if you do the math on it, I'm always like crunching numbers in my head. Uh, If you do the math, if you go a couple miles an hour faster, you're only going to get home a few minutes faster. You know, the consequence for the money you would lose, again, I'm so frugal, I'm a cheapskate, the money you would lose having to pay a couple hundred bucks for a ticket, potentially having to drive back to that small town wherever it may be to go to a court date to get it off your record, that time that you could potentially, it it all evens out in the end. So I'm just like, you know what? I don't want to have to get pulled over and spend 10 minutes on the side of the road. So I'm just going to get home maybe four to seven minutes like slower, right? So I just drive slow, do it, and and here we are. I thought I was going to get one yesterday. I didn't see any police officers, but I was like, we're getting home. I wanted to get back to Nashville, eager to get back, and uh, I didn't get one. That would have been incredible if yesterday was the first speeding ticket. Could you got. imagine and, if and you I, asked and me I just that? brought it up? It, it, you would have been so hurt about it. But it, if, if, if you got pulled over with some, like, is there? Do you ever get out of anything because you're like pretty famous? Like, if you got pulled over by a cop, someone might recognize you, and you might be able to get out of it that way. I try to never play that card, honestly. I mean. I'd That's be, where I think you're crazy. I, would, I know. If I, I know. had your level of success, I'd be playing that card as often as I could, e- everywhere. Dude, I'll go to a, I'll go to like a restaurant and like there'll be a, an hour wait, and somebody's like, I could tell that like some of the people working there, like you know, our younger people might know, like oh, that's the guy from Dan and Shay. I, I, I never, yes, I take, never, yes, take, people are take like, the Yo, table. You should have Abby call and pretend to be the manager and say, we've got a very high-profile client coming into your restaurant. I never want to be that guy. I want to be the guy who's like... Why not? Standing in line with the people. I don't know. I'm weird, man. <laughs> I, I, I'd be all in that. That's that's the perk. That's the best part. I maybe know, not. What I do I know? I, I I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe 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 I, maybe I wouldn't do that. I think I would, though. I think I'd be, I'd be doing that everywhere. Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe someday. Maybe someday. But I maybe don't ever now- leave my house, so it doesn't matter. Fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe not. I, I understand. I understand. Dan, <laughs> we've kept you too long. No, so dude, appreciate never. you taking the time. This was so great. Uh, and I, I can't wait to hear new music from Dan the Shea. And the current single, You, is climbing the charts right now. You guys just performed on Colbert. Great performance. I don't know where you guys recorded that, but it, it was like this awesome looking dive bar. Place. Thank you, dude. We did that over in East Nashville. I forget the, uh, it's like an American Legion place. I forget what oh, it's yeah. called. They have like a hipster, you know, dance hall night there a couple nights a week or something that a lot of friends go to but place was sick man super cool i loved it i've been listening to everything this whole week at the like i've been going back to the early records and and you're right actually that because they're they're not that long they're very fulfilling you can just kind of listen to them and they and they fly by and it's super satisfying even the the early stuff like it's all great dan shay they're they're one of the best you guys are one of the best right now you're too kind, man. Too kind. Send me a text. Let me know uh, what deep cuts on those albums are, are sticking out to you. I want to know. My favorite song, actually, my favorite Dan Shea deep cut song, maybe this isn't deep cut, cut is uh, Make and Break, or uh, Make or Break off the oh, self-titled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I freaking love that song. I think it Dude. clicked for me at Bridgestone when I saw you guys play it, play it then, and I just thought, oh my God. And low key, that might be like my favorite Dan Shea song. That's not like a cliche one to say. Dude, thank you. Thank you. It was funny when we wrote that. It was like kind of in the era where trap and the real slow, like sleepy hip hop kind of sounding thing was happening. And we wrote that and it was a halftime feel. It was like 60, between 60 and 70 BPM. And I was like, this song isn't doing it. I like the concept. I like the melodies. 
It all feels cool. I, I need to go back and find that demo. I honestly don't know where it is. But I was like, I'm off this. I don't like this slow, sleepy hat, halftime thing. I was like, we got to go double time. Let's go full time. So we went and cut a I band I love on that it, feel. And it's full throttle, man. I mean, it's like, yeah. Anything over I, 100 BPM is fast, you know. I love that feeling of uh, the drum sound. Granted, when that chorus kicks in, it just feels so good. There's something about that. I, I, I love that song. Yeah, the boys were ripping on that one, man. Killed it. Killed it. Dan, so appreciate you coming on, man. And we got to do it again when uh, when there's new music out and uh, and more stuff to to promote. But this, Dude. The, this, this was fantastic. Dude, thank you for having me. Seriously, man. I'm a big fan and uh, keep killing it, man. Back at you. Talk to you soon. All right, brother. Later.